everyone to my weird little podcast episode number two the one with call colonizers getting what came to them (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so uh i didn't tell you i'm actually gonna name them all like friends episodes because this is a podcast with my friends talking about weird stuff cool i guess this one is the one with colonizers getting what came to them which happens when you colonize a country and other people are already living there who have rights to the land (laughs) (laughs) you you can't just come in and implement your uh british rules or in your ways damn brit yeah so tonight uh i'm gonna have oh i should probably introduce us first right I am the wonderful, amazing Tia Bean. You might know me from Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, or various other weird things. Um, Hopefully, nice things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And our co-host today is the wonderful, lovely Roxana. You might also, yeah, you might also remember her from Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, or Hollywood's Haunted tours or being a tour guide at Universal Studios, or um, other weird stuff that I make you do all the time. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, our producer today is Patrick, sitting on the floor next to me. Ooh, Patrick, <laughs> sitting on the floor. Yep. Uh, so tonight, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. So you are doing the story of Roanoke, right? Yes, the Roanoke colony, or the lost colony, I should say. Ooh. Right? Okay, so shall I just jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, get into it, yeah. Yeah, so Roanoke colony, uh, if you are into any, like, sort of spooky stuff, you run across... Uh, the fact that this colony kind of just up and disappeared. It's been referenced in a few, um, like a Stephen King book, The Perfect Storm. They also did a mini story about that, where they talk about the lost colony of Roanoke, Mm -hmm. how the only thing that was left behind was a word carved into a tree, a Croatan, uh, or did I say that? Croatoan. Croatoan. Sorry, I'm like, well, check my notes. Um, and that whole The Perfect Storm is kind of exploring what might have happened to the colonists with, with a supernatural theme and that there's like a strange being that comes and they all have to like pick, all the villagers have to pick rocks and stuff. And it's it's really creepy and spooky and that kind of thing. And then in American Horror Story, they actually have a whole season called My Personal Roanoke which also explores another spooky supernatural explanation to what happened to these colonists and like turns mm. out the blood moon. And then there's that crazy lady in the forest, but no spoilers, but anyway, yeah. um, but they're really, they're really fun stories inspired by yeah. the story that I'm going to tell. Although I, I don't think there's that supernatural ending that. Yeah. Um, Lady Gaga is not going to show up at some point. And yes, exactly. (laughs) Everything that'd be awesome, though. Uh, Basically, the the story that most of us are familiar with uh, about the lost colony—they weren't the first ones to colonize the island of Roanoke. That's actually the the second attempt to try to colonize this island, which from the history of it, just did not want white people on it. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So originally, uh, the colony there in Roanoke was to be established as the first permanent English colony in North America. And there was an expedition that had been sent out to try to find the best place to put this new colony. And so this was done in 1584. And a group went out, they, uh, it's so Roanoke Island is off the coast of what we know now as North 
Carolina. Yes, North Carolina. And (laughs) (laughs) so the expedition, they went out and actually seemed pretty successful. Uh, While they were there, they were able to make great relations with the the Native Americans that had already been living there. Uh, They found this perfect little island that was uh, sheltered by like a strip of land so that if the Spanish Armada was sailing by, they wouldn't see the colony that would was protected by that strip of land. And that would be in the island just a little bit further inland. Uh, the only problem was that because of that strip of land, it did make it a little bit difficult to get ships to go into the island. And that kind of plays into uh, the story a little bit later. But anyways, they thought that, okay, this is going to be a pretty good island. We're going to set up a permanent colony. They go back to England. They get the a whole you know group of people together and their ships and everything. And then they have like enough supplies to last them for a good year. And they head off across the ocean. And this was in 1585. Uh, but the problem was, like I said, the strip of land and trying to get the ships through... Their flagship, which had most of their resources on it, uh, run aground like on shallow water or like a shallow bank. And a lot of the supplies were either lost or ruined by seawater. So when they got to the island and were establishing themselves, they didn't really have enough to farm their own food. So And there was also mm-hmm. a lot of food shortage as well. Uh, but they had good relations at the time with the natives, but the f- problem was they started to become too reliant on what the Native Americans were producing so that the Native Americans kind of started to feel the weight of having to supply these colonizers with food and ration when they're still also need to mm-hmm. have their, uh, their society needs a lot of that too you know it's like now we're taking care of you white people yay and then another thing too was there was a distrust that was growing between them because what was happening is the native americans would notice that anytime a new tribe would have an interaction with the colonizers uh not long after their people would start to die and they thought that the english had these uh special like arrows that they could shoot with their mind at a great distance and that they were killing off a lot of the Native Americans. So what was happening was any time ago a tribe would have an interaction with the colonizers, it would and the Native Americans didn't have the built up immunities for all these diseases, uh they were catching these diseases from Mm -hmm. the and of course they were, were dying naturally and the Native Americans kind of thought that the English were doing this on purpose, when in reality it was like, nope, we're just filled with diseases. Uh, so that, again, mistrust starting to be built. Uh, the English were depending way too much on the Native Americans' resources. And then, of course, not to mention uh, the leader, or I should say the governor of the colony, uh, Governor Ralph Lane, he wasn't getting along too well with the the Native Americans either. Mm -hmm. And there had actually been uh, a couple of Native Americans that they had met during the, the initial, um, the initial mission the year before to find a good place. And it kind of went both ways. So one of the Native Americans had a great relationship with the, the English and mm-hmm. was able to help establish like connections between the English and then various other tribes in the area. And then the other Native American did not have a great relationship mm-hmm. with the, the English and didn't trust them and was actually uh, doing the opposite of kind of getting the, the tribes in that area to also distrust and not like the English. So then that was happening. And Ralph Lane and one of the leaders of one of the tribes just really butt heads. There was a few battles. Um, and actually, he ended up beheading the leader and impaled his head outside uh, one of the forts. 
So, you know, so now basically the Native Americans and the English colonizers are are not doing well. Uh, The the colony has pretty much run out of food. Uh, Oh, there was supposed to be a supply ship that was supposed to come and drop off more supplies and people. But the queen actually canceled that because she needed resources and, uh, you know, other places. So they pretty much decided to evacuate the island. So Ralph Lane gets all the, the, everybody in the colony, except for three people that I guess just didn't make it to the boat in time. And they had to leave the three people behind. Those three people were never seen again. Um, But anyways, the rest of the colony head back to England. But, you know, this is back before we have cell phones and emails and um, England didn't know (laughs) uh, that they were going to just up and abandon that island. So I think like two days later, a supply ship arrives on the island and no one's there. They see like the abandoned colonies. So they're like, okay, we don't quite know where they went. So they left. And then two weeks later, there was a whole uh, relief fleet that was being sent to the island with uh, like a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of supplies. Uh, But when they got there, again, they also saw that the island had been abandoned. But Mm -hmm. instead of, again, turning and heading back to England, uh, they went ahead and left only 15 people back on the island to hold down the fort and to pretty much see what was going to happen from there to see if anybody was going to come back. Um, They did decide to try again to establish a permanent uh, colony in that area, but they were, had given up on Roanoke Island. Instead, it was going to be over by Chesapeake Bay. And that's where they're going to have the the new permanent colony. It was in a better location, easier for the ships to get to. Uh, But the weird thing was that when the ships were coming uh, from England all to North Carolina, uh, the captain, John White, had been told about the 15 people that had been left behind on the Roanoke Island. So the goal was to stop at the island, pick up the folks, and then head to where the actual colony was supposed to be. But one of the, like, the first mate, um, he was a much better sailor, and he kind of knew what he was doing, and he had a lot of the, um, the trust of the crew. So he kind of ended up usurping towards the end, that idea. And instead of just picking up the 15 people at Roanoke and moving on, he dropped everybody off on Roanoke Island and was like, mm-hmm. nope, where you're going to stay. So that was also a little bit weird. But then when they got to Roanoke Island, uh, all 15 of the people had disappeared. The only thing left behind Mm -hmm. was a pile of bones, which they think was one of the guys. And they had talked to some of the Native Americans. And yeah, sure enough, they had been attacked and uh, and killed. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of the, the main theme. Uh, especially with that that area, that because of the bad relations with the natives, that they were doing their best to try to get all of the colonizers off of Roanoke Island. But this did not stop the English. So this new colony uh, contained 114 people. And John White uh, was also a part of the expedition party and the original colony. Uh, So he was very familiar with the area. In fact, uh, a lot of the maps from that time, he was the one that did it. He was an artist. It's actually really accurate, and it's really impressive how accurate his maps were because, again, he's just looking at stuff and Uh these maps. Um, But, uh, again, they didn't have enough food and enough people to really establish a permanent hold and also at the time it was like part of a really bad drought as well so not a lot of food going around they don't have again that same relations with the the natives in the area so they can't rely on them for food and so the colony tells john white we need you to go back to england 
and come back with more people and more supply so that we can create an actual permanent establishment. And John White was a little bit hesitant to leave because they had just gotten there a month before and he didn't want to seem like he was abandoning the colony. Mm -hmm. Um, But he, he knew that's what he had to do. So he heads back to England uh, with the intention of turning right back around with more people and more supplies. But there was these uh, the war that England was having with Spain at the time, and he actually wasn't able to leave Spain, or not Spain, he wasn't able to leave England for about three years later. Mm-hmm. And after that time, he got a boat, uh, a ship uh, came back, and... They, it was, again, really weird because when they saw the island, there was smoke coming from the island, so they thought it was inhabited. Uh, when they landed, they saw fresh, fuss, uh, uh, fresh footprints, but when they got to where the colony was, it was completely abandoned and looked like it had been abandoned for a while. Uh, but, and they saw on a tree had been carved C-R-O and then on one of the walls that was guarding the colony, uh, that's when they saw the entire word, which was the uh, Croatoan. Hmm. And that's actually the name of another island that's just south of Roanoke, where the tribe there was actually still on good terms with the English colonizers. And John had already established with the colony that, they, again, they knew it was kind of a dangerous area, uh, had already been abandoned before, that if they were going to abandon the colony, that to leave behind kind of like a secret little token of where they might have gone. And that if they had left in distress or against their will to include a cross uh, with that token. So they're thinking because there was no cross that was left and that it, it was just the name of that island due to the south, that that's where they think the colony actually went. Mm-hmm. That's one of the theories. And it kind of does hold true. Uh, about a hundred years later, uh, uh, the, there was talk within the tribe that lives down in that island about how they had ancestors that knew how to read English, which makes mm-hmm. sense for the colonizers. Uh, there also was a very interesting genetic um, uh, marker that was found only in that tribe of gray eyes mm. uh, and kind of fairer skin. Uh, so they, they're thinking that at least some of the colony of Roanoke went down to that island, uh, the one to the south, the Croton, and mm. kind of became a part of that tribe. And like they just started living with them, mating with them, and that every they didn't really disappear. They just became a part of the Native Americans in that area. Uh, but another weird thing was so John White did all those maps. And so there is this map of the area. Uh, The island of Roanoke and Croton are kind of in a light red color. And then there were these little patches on the map. There's like two patches. And they say that makes sense because back in the day, if you screwed up on making your map, you didn't want to have to start all the way over. So then Mm -hmm. you would just put a little patch over it uh, to fix that area. And so they, the, you know, uh, nobody thought anything of it, of the patches, but uh, there, not too long ago, uh, there was a, a few people that had requested if that they go back and they look to see what's under the patches. And the first mm-hmm. patch was a mistake, uh, but the second patch, they noticed that there was a four-pointed star that was underneath that patch. And that usually in that time, it was supposed to symbolize a fort, but then it had been covered over. 
So, mm. you know, there's a theory of maybe there had been a fort and it got co- covered over because it was no longer there. But the weirder thing is that on top of the patch in invisible ink is that same four-cornered star with like mm. these squares drawn around it. And so it was almost as if it had been created originally with the fort, but they didn't want, you know, their enemies to get a hold of this information. So then it was put over with another piece of um, paper and then drawn in invisible ink so that if you knew what you're looking for, you could still find that marker. Uh, So other theories Hmm. also that some of the colonists went to that area after they abandoned Roanoke and kind of ended up living uh, in that area on the map that is marked as the fort. Because uh, in both that area and on the other island, they were also finding artifacts of uh, 16th century English uh, culture. So, and, and things that the colonists at the time would have had access to. And they're finding them in these areas that did not actually have a colony, but were in the Native American territories. Uh, so that's the theory of what happened to uh, the colony of Roanoke. So it's not really a supernatural thing, but it was just more of a, they couldn't survive there and yeah. ended up splitting up but it's also just kind of weird that that island just kept getting abandoned or people would just disappear like the three people that were left behind uh the 15 guys that were also left behind um yeah so uh, it's no mystery but what's interesting is that there are still theories people still theorize that maybe it was aliens uh that the uh the colony had had connections with the aliens and that that mark on the map was like oh maybe an alien craft or something like that and that all of them had been uh, abducted all at one time uh another theory is zombies because uh there was also found to evidence of cannibalism but Hmm. the cannibalism can be explained by the fact that there was a food shortage it was a drought you know, the Donner Party did it. They, yeah. The colony probably wouldn't have been above eating their dead, too. Uh, yeah. But there was something that that could make sense of why they just all disappeared really quickly. But it also doesn't make sense because the houses had actually all been torn down and all of the essentials had been stripped. So it was seen as a very deliberate moving mm-hmm. on as opposed to like those ghost ships that sometimes people find, but like the cigarette is still burning in the ash tray and there's still food that's left behind. Like that's creepy because you're like, where did everybody go? It looks like they were just here. Whereas Mm -hmm. with the colony, it looked as if they stripped everything that they could take with them and were just like, we're out of here. We can't stand it. So, yeah. So, but I guess it is the colonies, the colonists kind of getting what they deserved because uh, they tried their damnedest to colonize mm-hmm. that island. And between Mother Nature and the natives, uh, they said, nope, not happening. And it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned the aliens saying, I couldn't help but think of George Sukalos. Aliens. About, like, <laughs> it's right? aliens. It's this always is, aliens. This is when Roanoke was taken over by. Yeah, but. Ancient yeah. astronaut theorists. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, it also sounds like there needs to be a Roanoke escape room when you're like invisible ink and under the patch on the map. Uh, yeah, yeah. That sounds, yeah. You have to find the trail of where the colonists actually went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another thing I meant to ask. I, I haven't seen the Roanoke American Horse. Is that connected to this at all? Uh, they're not on an island. Um. The story, and it's been a while since I watched the episode, the story is that the, it kind of ties in with the human sacrifice. So like they, every blood moon, they have to sacrifice somebody because like they were cursed um, by the Native Americans or something like that. So. Mm. Okay, it's a different take. Mm. It it is a different, because I think the reality is 
not as exciting as um, the stories. And the fact that it wasn't like John White left for two months and came back and the whole colony was abandoned because that yeah. would be really creepy. It was three years. A lot happens in three years. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. needed food. So, but that, yeah. But the whole map thing is also really cool in the invisible ink. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the story. Yeah, that story, like, I think people find the mystery in the story because the lost city of Roanoke, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, a full city disappearing is very scary. But, yeah, three years. people, <laughs> right? And they didn't really disappear. They more got absorbed into the, the Native American population, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So my story's kind of similar in a sense but on a much smaller scale and about 100 years later okay so my story is about olive ann oatman and the oatman massacre so i got my information from forgotten lives which is uh this wonderful podcast it's it's a little slow pace i'm gonna say but I, if you're patient and you love history, like you'll like Forgotten Lives because it's all these like obscure stories that people don't really know about uh, and these people in history that are very uh, interesting, but not the mainstream cool story, you know, people, you know. So some of them are a little, <laughs> what's that? Like growing up colony. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I found this store, first heard it on Forgotten Lives, uh, but most of my information comes from Wikipedia and Biographics, um, which I've gotten stuff from Biographics before. I think on my other podcast, when I did the Aleister Crowley episode, most of my stuff was from him. So also another great uh, podcast, although I found that there was a lot of conflicting information between uh, what's on Wikipedia and what's in these uh, YouTube podcast videos. So the basic story is here, but some of its locations were conflicting. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's because the guy in biographics is in England and he thinks that New Mexico and Las Vegas are the same place. <laughs> um, I can see there is Las Vegas, New Mexico. Okay, maybe that's what he meant. Oh, like Las... Okay. Because he was like, they ended up in Las Vegas. But when I looked it up on Wikipedia, it's definitely the New Mexico Territory. However, Las Vegas would make sense because there are a lot of Mormons within this story. It actually has to do all with the Mormon faith. Um, But anyways, I'm just going to get into it. So, uh, So, Royce, or Roy's... R-O-Y-S, Roy's is this guy's name, and Marianne Oatman, they had seven children between 1834 and 1849. Uh, During this time, this former Methodist family converted to Mormonism after being inspired by the prophecies of Joseph Smith. So if you are not familiar with the Book of Mormon (laughs) and musical and or book Um, (laughs) and you don't know what Mormonism is basically it started out in the 1800s this man Joseph Smith claimed to have found a set of golden plates they're like tablets not like dinner plates but like these golden basically very similar to uh the ten commandments type of plates uh golden plates uh, with the help of a angel named Moroni, uh, and he found them, and they had all of the like basically rules of being a Mormon or whatever this on these plates, uh, and it was their duty to seek out the city of Zion, and along the way they were going to meet resistance. So basically, they need to find what's going to be the promised land for the Mormons somewhere in America, because apparently that's where it is. Um, he did he did not like be a little um really do you think it is do you think it's here 
Um, but uh, Joseph Smith was in America. Yeah. So I guess he, I, okay. Um, yeah, Utah was not close actually. Um, so which, um, they did, they met a lot of resistance actually. Uh, Mormons were run out of cities. They were very much ostracized, you know, people thought they were a cult. They did. Yeah. This was like, not okay. Um, so in 1844, Smith announced that he was going to run for president and, uh, not all Mormons were like on board with Joseph Smith, even though he created the religion, he, they, a lot of people disagreed with polygamy, which was something that, uh, he basically did so he could have multiple wives. It's yeah. You know, it's that. Yeah. There's this whole thing with like him wanting this like open relationship and then not wanting his wife to have an open relationship. And it was like this whole one-sided thing. But anyways, we all know how that goes. So, uh, Mormons broke off into factions, you know? So other people who didn't believe what all of what he believed started their own church because that's what you can do. Um, apparently. So, uh, on June 7th, uh, a June 7th of 1844, a public, uh, the dissidents published the first and only issue of the Nauvoo Expositor, 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 Nauvoo, non, uh, E-X-P-O-S-I-T-O-R, Expositor, um, yeah. Nauvoo was like a group of people that resisted Mormons. I should have looked up more information on them. <laughs> Anyways, this it paper was issued once in Illinois. And basically all of it, the whole point of it was to call for the reform within the church of Mormon, uh, appealing to the political views of the country's other faiths, as well as those of former Mormons. It also attacked Smith's practice of polygamy, implying that Smith was using religion as a pretext to draw unassuming women, women uh, to Mormonism in order to seduce and marry them. <laughs> oh, oh mm, could that be it? Mm. So fearing that the newspaper would bring the countryside down on the Mormons, uh, the, oh no, Nauvoo was a city in Illinois. Sorry. Anyways, uh, the Nauvoo City Council declared the expositor a public nuisance and ordered Nauvoo Legion to destroy the press. Uh, Smith, who feared another mob attack, supported the action, not realizing that destroying a newspaper was more likely to incite a riot uh, or incite an attack than libel would. So basically he was like, oh, this newspaper is talking shit. Uh, let's take down the newspaper and let's get rid of it. Because, you know, taking away people's uh, right to press always goes over very well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So um, on June 23rd, Smith and his brother Hiram rode to Carthage to stand trial for inciting a riot. Once the Smiths were in custody and charges were increased to treason, preventing them uh, uh, preventing them from posting bail. On June 27th, 1844, an armed mob with blackened faces stormed Carthage, Carthage Jail, where Joseph and Hiram were being held. Hiram, who was trying to secure the door, was killed instantly with a shot to the face. Oh. Smith fired three shots, wounding three men before he sprang for the window. He was shot multiple times before falling out of the window, crying, Oh, Lord, my God. He died shortly after hitting the ground, but was shot several more times before the mob dispersed. Talk about overkill. 
So he was dead, like dead, dead. Oh yeah, no, yeah, dead, dead. So yeah, Joseph Smith is gone, but there are still these other factions of Mormonism that have been created after them. So one of the factions of Mormonism was led by a prophet named prophet named James Colin Brewster. In 1836, at the age of 10, Brewster began to claim that he had been visited by the angel Moroni. Uh, the same angel that Joseph Smith claimed that had led him to the golden plates. In November of 1837, due to his persistent claims uh, of being a prophet, Brewster was disenfellowshipped from the Church of Latter-day Saints, mm. which is the Mormon church, if you didn't know what LDS was. Yeah. Uh, so in 1848, Brewster and a man named Hazen Aldrich, um, which is a cool name. Also didn't look up too much on him because this is the only mention of him in the story. And anyways, I'm already on a tangent within a tangent. So <laughs> in 1848, Brewster and Hazen Aldridge founded the church of Christ, which they claimed was the true successor of the church of Christ. Smith had founded in 1830. Aldridge was selected as the sex sex. I always pronounce it wrong, S-E-C-T-S, first president with Brewster and Jackson Goodell, Goodell, Goodell as counselor in the first presidency. All right, anyways, so Brewster wrote the book, the book of Estras, Estras, uh, included in the text was a description of the promised land. It was to be a gathering place of saints. Sidonia, the land of Bashan, which is what it was called. Bashan. Right. Bashan, B-A-S-H-A-N, Bashan. Bashan. Sidonia, the land of Bashan, which sounds like someplace we're going to go on our D&D campaign Ooh. pretty soon. Only hopefully it's not in the middle of New Mexico <laughs> is where we end up. But land of Bashan. I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> not to insult anybody who's from New Mexico. We know it's not just like Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, meth all the time. Uh, so anyways, this was pre-meth New Mexico was the promised land. So, okay, the land, the land was supposed to be in a remote area of the country in the Southwest. Brewster gathers his own following, the Brewsterites, uh, and he was just 17 years old when the Oatman family joined the group uh, that Brewster led to find the promised land. The place was supposed to be along the River Amel, uh, a name he made up for the Rio Grande. <laughs> and on August 5th, 1850, the Oatman family and a group of about 90 people left Missouri to find this place. 17 different families, 27 wagons, and a few hundred cattle. So, anyways, they're going along, and hey, who'd have thought? The, they don't always agree on everything. So, because of disagreements, uh, the group ended up splitting somewhere near Santa Fe, New Mexico territory. Uh, with Brewster following the north route, uh... Roy's, Oatman, and several other families chose to go the southern route via Sirocco and Tucson. Uh, near Sirocco, Roy's, Oatman, assumed command of the party, and they reached the New Mexico Territory early in 1851, only to find the country and climate wholly unsuited to their purpose. Yeah. So they're... Okay. Yeah. They're basically in the middle of the desert, hoping that they would find the promised land. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Didn't expect that. So, anyways. I don't know. I don't think they were worried about religion at this point. I think they were just more 
worried about not dying. Yeah, I think they were more worried about, yeah, surviving. So the other wagons uh, gradually abandoned the goal of reaching the mouth of the Colorado River. The party had reached Mar 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 Maricopa, God, the, the party reached Maricopa Wells, Arizona, when they were told that not, uh, that not only was the stretch of trail ahead barren and dangerous, but the Native Americans ahead were very hostile and that they would risk their lives if they proceeded further. The other families resolved to stay and the Oatmans decided to proceed alone. So, uh, in one account, they said this was somewhere around Las Vegas. In this account uh, that I got off of Wikipedia, they said it was in the Arizona, New Mexico area. Okay. I'm gonna like give them the benefit of the doubt because this was early America and none of this was mapped out. And these are the first people to ever be here. So Las Vegas, Arizona, New Mexico. <laughs> Desert. It probably and it honestly, it probably all looked the same, <laughs> you know. And who knows? You've been walking in the desert for days. Who really knows where you are at this point? Exactly. So the Oatmans decide that they're going to press on alone. Uh, Mary Oatman, Marianne Oatman, is pregnant at this time, and they have seven children with them. So I don't know why they thought this was a good idea. Yeah. Um, desert while I'm pregnant with seven kids. Yeah. Uh, the destination was supposed to be Fort Yuma, about 140 miles away. Marianne and Royce Oatman had seven children, and Marianne was pregnant with their eighth during the journey from Illinois to the Gilia River. Uh, the Oatman children ranged from ages 1 to 17, the eldest being Lucy Oatman. On February 18th, 1851, the Oatman's fourth day out of Maricopa Wells, four days on their own, Maricopa Wells, they were approached by a group of Native Americans who were asking for tobacco and food. Due to the lack of supplies, Roy's Oatman was hesitant to share. I don't think any of the kids would be smoking tobacco, though. Yeah, I mean, and also, like, they probably didn't have much at this point. Yeah. But you know, oh, okay. Let's just be, uh, let's just be stingy, in when we're in Native American land, and let's offend the Native Americans. Let's just and it's a that. history of the Native Americans always giving their food and their supplies. Yeah. yeah so. so basically, the Oatman family were sitting ducks, anyways. You know, they're on their own with just mostly children. Uh, so. Uh, the Native Americans were not happy about this. And during the encounter, the tribe attacked the Oatman family. They clubbed the family to death. All were killed except for three children. 15-year-old Lorenzo, who was left for dead, 14-year-old Olive, and 7-year-old Mary Ann, who were taken to be slaves. They were stripped of their shoes, making it impossible to run away. The tribe mocked and taunted Anne and her sister as they grieved. After the attack, Lorenzo awoke to find his parents and siblings dead. And this is a quote from Lorenzo. With the mangled remains of my parents nearby, my scalp torn open, my person covered in blood, alone, friend, friendless in a wild mountain, dismal wilderness region exposed to the ravenous beasts and more to the ferocity of more than brutal savages and human-shaped demons. Okay, yeah. but also compare the history of white people doing that stuff. Yeah. To, yeah, so it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Opens probably didn't expect this because they're like, hey, we're nice, but... Well, it reminds me of Oh, and then they just killed him. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's that person who who he brings their friend over who wants like yeah yeah. No, okay. <laughs> you never had that friend who came over and then they like change your music on the stereo. I know. Yeah. 
they make themselves just a little bit too comfortable. Yeah. Or yeah, he, he turns off whatever you're watching. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, you know, granted, the that friend of a friend comes over with a different friend another time, but you still kind of don't like that person, even though they weren't the one here. It's like that. Um, so Lorenzo survives and he wakes up to find pieces of his family all around him, clubbed to death. It's pretty brutal, but he does not find any sign of Marianne or Olive. So uh, Lorenzo attempts the hazardous trek to find help and he eventually, eventually reached a settlement where his wounds were treated. Lo Lorenzo rejoined the immigrant train and three days later returned to the bodies of his slain family in a detailed retelling, uh, which was reprinted in newspapers over the decades. He said, we buried the bodies of father, mother, and babe in one common grave. Lorenzo Oatman became determined to never give up and search for his only surviving siblings. So, after the attack, the Native Americans took some of the Oatman family's belongings, along with Olive and Mary Ann. The girls were used as slaves to forage for food, to lug water and firewood, and for other menial tasks. They were frequently beaten. Uh, eventually, another group of Native Americans came to trade with the tribe. This group was made of, made up of the Mojave Native Americans. Now, the daughter of the Mojave chief, her name was Espanol, uh, saw the girls and their poor treatment during the trading expedition, and she tried to make a trade for the girls, but the tribe refused. But the chief's daughter, Topeka, she was persistent and returned once more offering a trade for the girls. Eventually, they gave in and traded the girls for two horses, some vegetables, blankets, and beads. And the girls walked for days to the Mojave Village along the Colorado River to what is now Needles, California. Oh, wow. So, uh, pretty close to where I'm at right now here in Vegas. Like, right in between where you're at and where we're at, where they were. So, the Mojave, like, was, like, the savior for these girls. They actually, like saw that these poor girls were being treated as slaves and they i mean it doesn't sound like much today but two horses vegetables blankets and beads that's yeah that's a lot and obviously they were persistent to come back a second time for these people yeah so they were immediately taken in by the family uh of a tribal leader uh espanol espanol's wife espanol mio and i'm so sorry for mispronouncing all of these and i'm just going to butcher every single name of every single thing that we do throughout this podcast please send me the hate mail i deserve it <laughs> and the daughter topeka took an interest in the oatman girl's welfare uh so Olive Oatman expressed her deep affection for these two women numerous times over the years after her captivity. Uh, the Oatman girls were actually given plots of land and treated as members of the tribe. They were expected to contribute just as everyone else did and they, they contributed to the tribe. They made friends, they were given nicknames and were even given tribal facial tattoos made from the powder of river rocks and the juice from weeds. It was a pain, it was painful, but it was a mark of friendship. So, uh, late, if you've seen pictures of Olive Oatman, she has a very distinctive blue tattoo on the bottom of her chin. Um, I'm sure you've seen pictures before, but yeah, a lot yes, of, what's up? I'm familiar with the technology photographs. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the uh, accounts that when people kind of retell her story, they act like she was taken against her will and they forced this tattoo onto her face when that oh. probably wasn't what happened. Oh. You know, I'm seeing the tattoo that you're talking yeah. about. 
<laughs> there's a lot of characters who've been uh, inspired by Olive Oatman, especially in Westerns. Um, so, but just to let you know, the, the face tattoo was probably not against her will. It's probably a way that she was, you know, trying to cope with her survival and like her whole family, she thinks her whole family is dead. And these are the first people to be nice to her after she was basically slaves into the people who murdered her, to the people who murdered her family. And this family, although very different, takes her in and treats her as one and gives her land. And so she's just thinking in her head, I'm part of the tribe now. You know, I am a Mojave and she is actually very grateful and still taught even after way after the fact she talks very highly of the Mojave. So her sister Mary becomes weak after a drought one season and she ends up dying from lack of nutrition. So Olive did everything to save her sister, sometimes traveling for days to look for roots or birds' eggs. And that's another thing. So Mary dies because the tribe was on hardship. She was not killed by the tribe. She was not neglected other people from the tribe died it was just a hard time on the tribe and people in the tribe died and mary was a part of the tribe and unfortunately she passed away as well so the mojave traditionally cremate the dead but the chief's wife uh appealed to the leader to let olive bury her sister years passed and lorenzo continued to search for his sisters Uh, He even motioned the governor of California to help, but got a response that the governor had no authority to do anything. So in 1853, a man named Henry Grinnell passed uh, through Fort Yuma, and he heard the story of the two girls who were taken captive by the natives. He was very curious about the story and was able to get some information from a Yuma native called Francisco which I'm assuming is not his real name, but that's just, that's very bold of me to assume that. But uh, anyway, so he told Francisco that the Americans would go to war for these girls. uh, So Francisco said that he could get them returned. So the Mojave didn't want to let her go. Francisco ends up finding her within 20 days. And, uh, she had many op- she had other encounters where she had inter uh, like uh encountered other white people and never did she try to leave yeah. this, this was her family well, yeah she's her whole family's dead what's the point what would be the point yeah so that's another misconception is that she wasn't being held against her will yeah. uh, but the mojave at first didn't want to let her go they even tried to claim that she wasn't white Uh, Francisco meanwhile he withdrew to the homes of nearby Mojaves shortly thereafter he made a second uh, attempt to persuade the Mojaves to part with with Olive trade items were included this time including blankets and a white horse and he passed on threats that the white people would destroy the Mojaves if they did not release Olive so basically he's threatening war between the white people and uh, the Native Americans and uh, basically Olive says okay I'll go with you because yeah. she doesn't want that to happen yeah. so uh, the Mojaves uh, end up accepting these terms and Olive was escorted to Fort Yuma in a 20 day journey um, Topeka the daughter of Española da, 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 she went with her and uh, before entering the fort, Olive was given Western clothing lent by the wife of an army officer as she was clad in traditional Mojave skirt with no covering above her waist. Inside the fort, Olive was surrounded by cheering people. Uh, Olive was reunited with her childhood friend, Susan Thompson, who she befriended again at this time, stated many years later that she believed Olive was grieving upon her return because she had been married to a Mojave man and had given birth to two boys. Olive, however, denied the rumors during her lifetime that she 
either had been married to a Mojave or had been uh, sexually mistreated. That was another rumor later on that she was being raped by these tribes and she says that that never happened. Okay. Um, uh, she later declared that to honor to honor these savages, let it be said, they never offered least unchaste abuse to me. However, her nickname Spansta, Spansta may have meant, meant rotting womb, but that sounds like something that like some dude made up later on, uh, implying that she was sexually active throughout, uh, although historians have argued that the nickname could have had different meanings. Probably yeah. that sounds like something that a guy makes up. Yeah. You know, rotting womb, my, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds like something who, a male author who wrote the book about her would yeah, say. Took special liberties. Yeah. Uh, within a few days of her arrival at the fort, Olive discovered that her brother Lorenzo was alive and had been looking for her and Mary Ann. Their meeting made headline news across the West. In 1857, a pastor named Royal B. Stratton sought out Olive and Lorenzo Oatman. He co-wrote a book about the Oatman massacre and the girls' captivity titled Life Amongst, Among the Indians. It was a bestseller for that era at 30,000 copies. Stratton used the royalties from the book to pay for Olive and her brother Lorenzo to uh, attend the University of the Pacific. Olive and Lorenzo accompanied Stratton across the country on a book tour promoting the book and lecturing in book circuits. Olive was a curiosity. Her boldly tattooed chin was on display and people came to hear her story and witness the blue tattoo for themselves. Uh, she was the first known tattooed American woman as well as one of the first female public speakers. And in November of 1865, Olive Oatman married a cattleman named John B. Fairchild. Uh, she met him at a lecture she had been giving in Michigan. And uh, Fairchild had also lost his brother to an attack by Native Americans during a cattle drive in Arizona in 1854. Uh, in the, around the same time that Olive was living among the Mojave. So her and Fairchild moved to Sherman, Texas. And he helps founded, uh, he founded the City Bank of Sherman, and they lived together quietly in a large Victorian mansion. Uh, Olive began wearing a veil to cover her famous tattoo, and she became involved in charity work. She was partic particularly interested in helping a local orphanage. She and Fairchild never had their own children, but they did adopt a girl and named her Mary Elizabeth after her mother's nickname uh after her mother's uh and nicknaming her mammy uh her husband went on to track down copies of stratton's book and burn them uh her her brother lorenzo died on october 8th 1901 she outlived outlived him by less than two years olive oatman fairchild died of a heart attack on march 20th 1903 at the age of 65 she is buried at the West Hill Cemetery in Sherman, Texas. The town of Oatman, Arizona named, was named for her family and uh, was once a bustling mining and gambling town that turned into a ghost town. Ooh, we should go check that out. Yeah. Uh, it was part of the Oatman Gold District. The town is now a tourist stop. Oh yeah, we definitely are going there then. Uh, and the historic town of Olive City, Arizona, was a steamboat stop on the Colorado River during the gold rush days and was named in her honor. Aww. And that is the story of Olive Ann Oatman. Woo! So I thought that was pretty interesting. She yeah. was captured by Native Americans and they held her captive, but held captive for a short time. And much of that time she was with them was quite voluntary, you know. Yeah. yeah. The second <laughs> tribe that she lived with, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, like 17, I think. Or no, she was 14 when she was first captured. Yeah. How old was her younger sister? Like 10 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, when your whole family's dead, like, and they're taking care of you, like, of course, what you you're going to yeah. stay with them, especially, I don't know, they pay, they, like, rescued you, you know? They, yeah, they kind of saved you from being a servant for the rest of your life, I guess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, hope you enjoyed that story. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, forgotten life that a lot of people don't know about her. So, yeah. But anyways, that's our second episode of uh, my weird little podcast. Ooh. Ooh. So uh, follow us on all the podcasty stuff. And uh, yeah, soon we'll have an email and I'll talk about that later. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Start an email. Note to self. Uh, all right. Uh, but that's our second episode. Hope people like it. Yay. Yay. All right. Uh, till the next time. We're going to stay spooky. Ooh.